We are in um, the fourth week of a series that we're calling True Story. We're just kind of taking however long it takes to go through the book of Luke. Um, what we've learned to this point is that Luke was a doctor, and he took some time off from his practice because a guy named Theophilus who had some money said, I'm going to pay for your expenses if you'll just take some time, however long it takes, and investigate these stories that I've heard about Jesus. So you know people that are like Theophilus. They're not named Theophilus, I hope. Um, but you know people, they're like, I've heard of this guy named Jesus, and I'm not really sure if I can believe it. So Theophilus paid for Luke to investigate, to do some investigation, push on, uh, turn on some doorknobs, open some doors, um, check, check out what the claims that he's heard about this guy named Jesus, and then report back and say whether or not they're true. So in your Bible, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are the result of that investigation. And so we've been here um, for a couple weeks now. Um, this morning we are in Luke chapter 2. Uh, I love this. Um, there is no season that, that highlights the concept of home more than Christmas, right? We're all about home. Um, just a curiosity, how many of you love Hallmark Christmas movies? Let me see your hands. Okay, a couple, a couple guys. Jay's got his elbow up. I'm not sure what that means exactly. Um, a little nervous twitch. I've mentioned Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, I will admit, if, if I'm walking through the, the, the living room and a Hallmark Christmas movie is on, I'm probably sitting down to watch it. They're cheesy, they're corny, but they capture me, right? And they're always about family and somebody's lost, they're coming home. We're all about, about, about home during Christmas. Um, if you're a musician, you've heard of ASCAP. ASCAP stands for um, something, I'm not, I don't know what it is, but there are a bunch of people that get in a room, they're an organization, and they kind of look over music and go, okay, these are good songs, these are not good songs, and ASCAP has determined that the song I'll Be Home for Christmas is the 10th most popular Christmas song of the last century. So they got to be old because they've been living for 100 years to know that. Um, family reunions at Christmas time. Now, unless you have the absolute craziest weird uncle Family reunions melt your heart. They're just like, oh, we're together. You hug. I love that. I love this time of year. I love what it stands for. Um, I, I love when businesses get creative and they capitalize on that. And so this past year, um, airline called Air Canada, they took full advantage of this warmth of Christmas around like home goings and family reunions and all kind of stuff. And so they gave, um, they surprised a couple Canadians. Now they're Canadians, right? We're going we're gonna to watch a video. You're going to see it. This is about Canadians, but we're going to celebrate with them anyway, even though they are from the great white north, okay? Uh, so Air Canada capitalizes on this and gave some Canadians a really unique Christmas gift. We're going to just check it out now. Um, side note, guys, if a girl ever gives you 150 messages, run as fast as you can. <laughs> Whew, wow. Don't, not sure how the stalker made it into the video, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so we, we love reunions, right? We, we love family. We love the concept of saying hello. Um, maybe you've heard of hello. There's a person named Adele who has a song called Hello. Um, right now, some of you are like, Adele. That's a computer, right? It'll sink in. Adele. Computer. Um, she's got a song called Hello. It's, it's just recently broken a record for the most digital downloads in a week. 1.11 million. Million. 1.11 million downloads digitally of this song, Hello, in a week. It doubled. It, it broke the record by twice as much as the previous record. We are into hellos. This morning what we're going to find in Luke chapter 2 is that this is God's story of saying hello to us. The only difference is this, and it's a big difference. Um, God's hello 
is so much better than Adele's hello. Because if you, if you listen to the song, right, right now some of you are like, I wish we could listen to the song, but we have it muted. If you listen to the song, what you'll find is Adele's hello is really more like a goodbye. It's, it's a woman calling an ex and there's distance between them, and it's like, I wish we could fix this gap, but we can't. And so at the end of the song, it's like, kind of like, what was the purpose of calling anyway? But God's hello is so much better than that. Because when God says hello, he's moving closer to us. He's coming to fix the gap. Adele's hello is from a distance. God's hello eradicates the distance between us. And I love that. I love that. Here in Luke 2, God says hello to fallen humanity, and his hello leads to reconciliation. Adele's hello is sad, tragic, and catchy because I wake up every morning with it in my head. But God's hello is not sad. It's not tragic. It's the beginning of a redemptive story, and it starts in this little small town called Bethlehem. Now, Albemarle, I say this said all the time, Albemarle has 16,007 people living in it. And that's small compared to Charlotte, Raleigh, New York, L.A., Boston, Chicago. But Albemarle's huge compared to Bethlehem. Bethlehem had between 300 and 1,000 people, which is really good news because here's what it means. Biblically speaking, good news can come to and through a small town. And if you're from Frog Pond, Locust, Finger, Norwood, Meisenheimer, Albemarle. It's really good news to know that small towns can receive good news from God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to read through Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Um, and I'm just going to show you some things that I want you to get out of this passage. Um, there are really smart men that have, that have done series on Luke, that have, have taught messages on Luke, and really get into things that we don't have time to get into today. Things like um, the history behind it. I'm just going to point you to one in particular. You can, you can search all kinds of speakers, but let me just point you to one. You can write this down and Google it later. You just Google Mark Driscoll Luke series. If you just Google that, um, you'll find uh, a, he did like a three-year series in the book of Luke. It's fantastic. And he goes into lots of the history behind all the things that we're going to read. Today, I, don't, I just don't want to focus on that. I want to get one point across to you, and here, here's what it is. Christmas is about the presence of God. There's, there's a word behind me, right? You see it? Emmanuel? It means God with us. It means, we say this all the time, that God was not content to shout at us from a distance. But he slipped on human flesh. He became like us. In your note sheet, you have a quote from C.S. Lewis that says something like, God, the Son of God became man so that men could become sons of God. This is the point of Christmas. He came near to us so that we could eventually be near him. I don't know how many of you stress out over the perfect gifts. I don't know if your Christmas shopping's done or not. Or if you're um, a guy, maybe you're just getting started, right? But you start to stress over this perfect gift, and you're going to end up getting your wife some stupid teddy bear that comes through the mail because you didn't take the time to figure out, wait, unless you already got her that. And then let me say this, that was a great gift. You'll, you'll get gifts out of panic because you try to find the perfect present. But what I want you to get today is that it's about presents. That's your big idea. Let me, let me just give it to you now, and then we'll walk through this, this story in Luke chapter 2. The promise of Christmas is God's presence with us more than God's presence to us. Now, let me just say right up front, God gives good gifts to his kids. 
He gives great gifts. But the greatest gift he's ever given us or ever will give us is his presence. And that's what Christmas is about. I don't want you to get wrapped up in what God's giving to you. I want us to be pleased to be with God. God with us. The gift of God's presence. So let me just read this real quick. Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 20, and then we'll, we'll just talk through it real quick. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of, J- of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, we're going to spend most of our time today, all, all the time, from, from this point down to verse 20. But let me just say this about those first few verses that we read. When, when you start, you look up Mark Driscoll, you start looking at some other pastors that have really taken those verses and explained, you know, why there was a decree and why there was a census and how it took place and all that. Let me just sum it up with this. We talk about prophecies a lot. That the, the likelihood of, there's over 60 messianic prophecies in the Bible. The likelihood of one man fulfilling eight of those, I've told you this a couple of weeks back. The likelihood of that is like filling the state of Texas two feet deep with quarters Marking one with a red X, throwing in there, stirring up the whole state of Texas, blindfolding one man, telling him he can, he can walk the entire state and he can pick up a coin, only one coin. And the likelihood that he would pick up demarked quarter is the same as, as with one man fulfilling eight prophecies. Jesus fulfilled all. There's no doubt that he is who he says he was. So these first few verses, if you get nothing else out of it, just know this, especially um, if you have a, a job with a boss that doesn't love Jesus, okay? Listen closely. God used rulers in authority over men to get the mother of Jesus to where she had to be in order for the prophecy, one prophecy, to be fulfilled. And that was where he'd be born. God did all that. He used men that didn't even love him. Because he's God. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He can do all that. I love that. All right, so here we go. Let's pick it up. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Um, Father, today just, uh, I pray you'd help me, God, to clearly communicate the importance of your presence with us. And God, these, these things that accompany us, these things that, that come with your presence, that when we live In your presence, we're going to see these things in our lives, God. I pray you'd help me to communicate that clearly. That you would fill us with courage, with boldness, with joy. God, we serve a God 
Nothing with you is impossible. And I thank you for that. Thank you, God, for your, your activity in our lives. I thank you for what you're doing here in our city. And I thank you, God, that you give us the power, like David, to defeat the giants in our lives. And we pray that today you would also give the Panthers that same power. In your name, Jesus, amen. Panthers are playing the giants. It's okay. So here's 10 things. Um, you're supposed to, when I went into seminary, they said, look, never use the word things, right? Always use like something smart, like characteristics, qualities. Can we just go with things? Is that cool with you guys? It's like down home, sitting in a living room. 10 things, 10 things that accompany the presence of God. They're all found in this story in Luke chapter 2. So here we go. We're going to, if you've got a note sheet, just jot them down real quick. Number one is in verse 9, and it's light. Light accompanies the presence of God. Um, you don't have to raise your hand because I know you wouldn't admit it if you do, but a lot of people are scared of the dark when they're kids. A lot of people grow up and they're still scared of the dark, right? So um, we just, what we do to mask that fear is we buy really decorative night lights, don't we? We leave the bathroom light on and the door cracked. We find ways to just like make sure that we're not totally in the dark. A lot of people are afraid of the dark. And what I love here is the first thing that we see that accompanies the presence of God, because Jesus, God with us, is born in Bethlehem, and when the angels come to announce it, the first thing that happens is the sky lit up. There was light everywhere. Best light show they'd ever seen. It's everywhere, because Jesus brought that with him. The presence of God brings light. John 1.5 says this, that light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Some translations will say cannot understand it, cannot overpower it. Have you ever noticed this? Light doesn't have to try to dispel darkness. Like if you could get into the mind of a candle, right? Let's just be a candle for a second. Strike the match, you light the candle. That candle is not doing this. I'm just trying to get rid of the darkness. I'm trying to burn harder, brighter. It's just burning. You just light it. Light doesn't have to try to dispel darkness. It just does. Jesus is the light, John 8, 12. It says this, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's good news. God's presence brings light. And because of that, the darkness has to flee. And the fear that comes with the darkness has to flee. That's good news. That's the second thing that comes with the presence of God. It's good news. We've talked about this a couple times during our series, but there are 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? So God is silent for 400 years. And one of the first things he says when he speaks again is what we read here. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I'm going to say this and you're going to either love it or hate it, right? It's impossible to have the presence of God in your life and be pessimistic. Grumpy Christians should be shot. Like on sight. Because nothing is more anti what the good news is about than grumpy Christians. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have bad days occasionally and people pull out on, on, in front of us when we're on our way somewhere and we're behind and we're late and they get in front of us and it's slow and we get a little bit upset about that. I get it. But like if, if the overarching theme of your life is like this, you should be shot because good news accompanies the presence of God. It is impossible to be in the presence of God 
and not share good news. Now, let me define this. Why are Christians grumpy? Because we define good news from our perspective, don't we? Well, they said that about me. Or I lost my job. Or I'm going through a rough time in, in a relationship. And we define it all based on us. Well, I had the perfect outfit picked out to wear. My friend got the same outfit. She's wearing it. I can't believe that. I mean, we define good news from our perspective. If it's good news to me, then it's good news. But if it's not good news to me, then it's not. Man, we lose the eternal perspective of this good news. Jesus did not come and be born in a manger so that we could put on really, really fantastic Christmas plays. He came and was born in a manger so that we could be saved from our sin. That's good news. And no matter what's going on in your life, on your worst day as a Christian, it's better than it was before because you're headed somewhere eternal. It's impossible. <laughs> I love that. I'm preaching this to Christians as they don't smile. It's fantastic. Here's the third thing. We should move on from that one. Here's the third thing that accompanies the presence of God. Verse 12. He said this. This will be a sign to you. Uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to try to explain this. I'm just going to go with it the way it's in the Bible, okay? I believe that signs accompany the presence of God. I believe that when the presence of God is active in our lives, people should be able to see it. A lot of times what happens is, I'll throw this, this word out, ethereal. It's like, it's like the presence of God is like this vapor thing. We can't quite figure it out. Ooh, I was in the presence of God. Ooh. What's that like? I don't know, but it was awesome. And like you can't even wrap your brain. What does that mean? What I love about this is the angel says, look, God has come. His presence is here, and I'm going to tell you how to find it. He will be wrapped in cloths, and he will be lying in a manger. This will be a sign to you. I believe that the presence of God, when it's in our lives, brings signs with it. Following Jesus brings visible, verifiable signs. Now, I'm going to show you a verse in Mark chapter 16. Um, verse 17, and we can also throw 18 in there as well. And it's going to list a bunch of signs. And I don't want you to get hung up on those at all, okay? Don't get hung up on the signs. I just want you to get these, these first three sentences, or the first two lines. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. Which means this. If you believe in Jesus, it should be obvious. There are signs that accompany people that believe in Jesus' name. Now, he lists some, like cast out demons, speak in new tongues. He also talks about... Taking up poison and drinking it, not, not dying. I mean, all kinds of stuff. But can I just say this? Can we just boil this down? You are a sign. You are a sign that accompanies the presence of God. If God's presence is in you, then people outside of this church that live in our community should see something in us that is different. It should be something in us that they go, wait a second, you've got something I don't have. Now, the good news is that we don't have to dress up in a diaper and cloth and go to Walmart. We can just live our lives differently. Signs. You, I put it down like this. You, God cannot show up without being seen. And, and let's, here's the deal. Church people, we're, we're the worst at this. We want God to be in our lives, but shh, don't let anybody know. He doesn't play like that. He doesn't do that. God's like, if my presence is going to be in your life, everybody's going to know it. So you might as well get used to it. It's like, you know, you, maybe you go out to eat with your kids and you embarrass them. 
They're like, uh, Dad, you're embarrassing me. Dude, I'm paying for your food. I mean, you can go sit with some other family if you want. And Jesus paid the bill, right? Like, he paid for you. He paid for you. If his presence is going to be in your life, he's not going to hide in the corner over it, right? It's going to be obvious. It's going to be visible. Here's the fourth thing. Glory. And it's a perfect one to follow with signs because, again, we've made signs such a weird thing. Like, wait a second. Like, what kind of signs are we talking about? We're talking about your life, right? We're talking about your life. And so when, when you have the presence of God in your life and you become a sign, guess what happens? Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16 says this. Let your light shine before others. Right? Be a sign. Let your light shine before others so that they will see good works and give what to your Father? Glory. Give glory. Verse, verse um, 14. This is what the angel said. Glory to God in the highest. I mean, the presence of God comes and God receives glory. Now, depending on your church background, mine is like a mixture of all kinds of different churches. But the ones that I really remember, I've been in some really boring churches. But the ones that I remember were not boring. I mean, they might not have been godly either, but they were not boring. There was crazy stuff going on there. And so sometimes what would happen is like you get the presence of God in a church service, but you walk out and get in your car and you don't remember the presence of God. You remember the presence of the weird people, Right? But see, the presence of God doesn't bring glory to man. The presence of God brings glory to God. That's what I love about this. Hey, Jesus has been born to you. There's a Savior born to you. There's a sign. You'll see him, and glory is going to be given to God in the highest. I love that. Here's the fifth one. This is real practical. When the shepherds, verse 15, when they had left, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's just sit here and chat for a spell. Is that what it says? No, I said, let's go. Let's go. Like, move. Do something. Like, there's, there might be some times that we sit around and talk, but, man, when the presence of God comes in your life, it's time to do something. Like, move somewhere. Go invest. See Jesus for yourself. I love how Francis Chan says it. He'll say stuff like, it's amazing to him how Christians can sit around and just talk for hours about, like, the meanings of one Greek word and never actually do it. It's crazy. But when the presence of God comes, it might not be time to pull the chairs in a circle and talk. It might be time to, let's go. Let's do something. And I, I love the passion that they had. It says in the next verse that they hurried off. Like, they didn't just go, well, well preacher said let's go. Like, they couldn't get there fast enough. They, were, they, tore, they tore out of there. They hurried to find Jesus. The presence of God involves movement in our lives. Number six is evangelism. One of the things that we'll do when we have the presence of God is we'll tell others about it. And I know evangelism is one of those words we all kind of go, ugh, especially if you're an introvert, right? Like, I don't want to talk to people. No, I'll just wear the shirt, right? T-shirt, Jesus, one way. I'll just... Don't make me talk to them. But evangelism is something that's actually very natural. Verse 17 says this. When they had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Evangelism is simply spreading the word about what you have seen, what you have heard, and what you know. That's what 1 John 1, 1 says. And so while you're all hung up on evangelism, can I just give you some examples right now of how you're already an evangelist? 
All of you are already evangelists. You don't need to come to class about it. You already know how to do it. Here's how I know, because I'm on Facebook. So when you have your children, you become evangelists of your child. You put their picture up all the time on Facebook. And, and I don't blame you. If I'd have had Facebook when we had kids, I'd have blown Facebook up with pictures too. When you buy a new car, you are an evangelist for your car. You tell everybody about it. You take a picture. You post it all the time. Man, we're evangelists all the time. Our, our region right now is filled with Panther evangelists. We tell people all the time they are 13 and 0. And today when they're leading after the first quarter, we'll be posting stuff like they are 13.250. Like, well, like we're so into it, right? It's crazy. Man, you already know how to be an evangelist. Some of you are evangelists for bad things. That's why when you're in a bad mood, everybody's in a bad mood because you evangelize your, your mood. You already know how to do this. Evangelism is simply sharing what you believe. So the key here is, do you believe the right thing? Because when you fall in love with Jesus like that, you will share him. You will simply share him. You will spread the word about what you've seen. Hate me all you want, but the reason that some of us don't share Jesus is because we've never seen him. It's very different to, to know Jesus than it is to come to church and hear about Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, when you know Jesus, when he gets you here, you'll now have friends that say things like, shut up. Just shut up. Quit talking about Jesus. I can't. I can't. They'll never once call you an evangelist. They'll just call you weird. Number seven. Number seven is all, A-W-E. Verse 18 just says simply this, that all who heard it heard what? Heard what the shepherds were saying about Jesus. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The presence of God fills us with all, but not just us. And I love this. Who's given God? Who's amazed at God? It's, it's the people that are out there. Can you imagine this? If the presence of God shows up at the gathering, people are going to press their faces against that window to try to get in and see what's going on. They're going to say things like this. Um, I heard that you were at church last week and like some dude's leg grew. Can I come check that out? <laughs> oh, we'll just move on because right now you're freaked out about that too. You're just like, what? Somebody's leg grew? Number eight. Number eight. Reflection. Reflection. Mary, and, and this is, um, if you're an introvert, this is your verse. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary's response to the presence of God was very different from the shepherds. The shepherds moved, Mary sat. The shepherds told everybody, Mary was quiet and pondered them in her heart. I do think this, though. I think that maybe in the church we're missing this art of reflection, meditation. Psalm 46.10 says that we should be still and know that he is God. And when was the last time that you could be still and know that he was God? The last two are both in verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they'd been told. Here's, here's the ninth one. Um, worship. What, what, when you really see Jesus, you worship. The presence of God comes in your life. You become a person filled with worship. And when I... I first met Wendy. I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. Like the presence of Wendy filled my life. It was beautiful. 
I told everybody. I, I don't know if I worshipped Wendy, but it was close, right? I mean, it's like, baby, you look so good today. She's like, shut up. I don't have my makeup on. I got hair, my hair in curls. I'm like, yeah, but you look, oh, you're so beautiful. Man, when you see somebody, you fall in love with them, this worship's natural. You see Jesus, the shepherds, their lives were changed as a result. Everywhere they went, they're just worshiping Jesus. Presence of God. When it comes, you'll be marked by worship. And then here's the last one, verse 20. Um, it says the shepherds returned. Anybody want to take a guess at what they returned to? Sheep. Yeah, like they still had the same job. So I love this. You're going to have uh, to give me some latitude, okay? Sometimes we want God to move in such a powerful way in our lives that he will deliver us from the mundane aspect of life, right? Like God's moving in my life. I got the presence of God. What's that mean for you? I don't have to work anymore. Like, dude, you didn't win the lottery, right? He just hung out with Jesus, right? So I love the fact that the same shepherds went back to the same job. But what we know from the story is this. They didn't go back to the same shepherds. They went back to the same job, but they were not the same. Being in the presence of God transforms us. It changes us. Listen, and I say this at the risk of losing people from my church, but like if you're coming to church and you're in the presence of God and you're not changing, find another church because something's not working. It's impossible to be in the presence of God and not change, not be transformed. He changes us. The presence of God changes our lives. It, it, it transforms what we naturally do into opportunities for God to do the supernatural. So I, I told first service, this might be the, a horrible example, but I try to thought, think of, like, what's the worst job in the world? It's got to be working at the DMV, right? It's got to be. And I don't mean any disrespect to people that work there, but, like, I don't like to go to the DMV. I don't like to stand in line at the DMV. I try to time it so that I can get there at the perfect time. Can you imagine working there? Like, you're, you're at your cubicle, and everybody you see looks like this. Like, there's no joy. They're ticked at you because they had to wait. Everybody you meet, and you work there. Like, if there was ever a job that you'd be like, God, deliver me out of this place. But according to what we just read, it could be possible, theoretically, for you to experience the presence of God in such a way that you, you could become the DMV worker that people are, like, waiting in line to get to your cubicle. Like, I just want to hang out with that guy. Like, if he can make the DMV fun and exciting, like, that's the guy I want to hang out with. What makes you different? How, co how come you smile at the DMV? I met Jesus. I had the presence of God in my life. It transforms you transforms you let me just let me reemphasize that these characteristics become evident in our lives when we value the presence of God more than the presence of God more than the things he gives us presence are nice but they're not nicer than presence um, let me let me explain what I mean by that and then I'm going to show you one last video and then we'll wrap up I'm, I'm aware that it's Christmas time. I'm aware that for many people, this is a, a, an exciting season full of joy. But for a lot of people, this is a bittersweet season. I'm one of those people. And you know what I've learned over the years? As I say goodbye to people that I love, is that I would trade a lifetime full of presents from them to simply have time with them.
Listen, God's no different. He's not about just giving you presents. He wants to give you his presence. Because that's what we crave. That's what we want more than anything else. I've got one last video just to drive that home and then we'll wrap it up. The promise of Christmas is God's presence with us more than God's presence to us. And God understood that. And that's why I'm so glad that he did not UPS redemption. He hand-delivered it through his son. That's what Christmas is about. And he wants to deliver that to you today. He wants to deliver his presence to you today. As we we wrap this time up, I want to ask you to close your eyes. Let me just let you think through this. Do you value the presence of God more than the things that you want him to give you? All these these things that we've talked about, these ten things in the story, they're all evident in your life in some varying form when you're a person committed to the presence of God. And maybe as you kind of inventory your life right now, you're, you're like, man, that... Good news, man. I'm, I'm not a good news person. You know, I'm more like Eeyore. <laughs> I'm delivering the good news like, joy to the world, the Lord has come. You know, I, I need more of that in my life. Maybe worship, maybe transformation, whatever it is. Maybe evangelism. Maybe these are areas that are missing. And, and right now, just you and the Lord as you're talking, would you just ask him that? Like, God, I know that the, the remedy for these things is not necessarily a class where we learn more. But it is about being in your presence. I'm so thankful that you bridged the gap at Christmas. That, you know, this last video we watched, God, I mean, these guys and these ladies in uniform, they could have just Skyped their families. And somehow that wasn't the same as them being there with them. And so I pray, God, that you would give us a passion this Christmas season to not be satisfied to know about you from a distance. But to rejoice in the fact that you were not satisfied with that And you came near. You were Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is all about your presence. And so I pray that we'd be marked as people of your presence. In your name, Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're joining a church It doesn't mean you're committing to read the Bible. These are things that will probably happen after you make that first decision. It means this, that what I've talked about this morning, recognize that Jesus came to this planet because of your sin to be a Savior for you on a cross, resurrected from a tomb. If you've never made that decision, that commitment, and today's the day you can do that. Today's the day you can say, I want to to know for sure that I'm following Jesus. And if that's you, you're here today, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want, I want to know for sure. I want to pray that. I want to talk to you. I want to get what I need. Anybody here today? Thank you. Anybody else? All right. I'm going to pray for you, and then after service, we'll talk. God, I thank you right now, right now, that this is what Christmas is about. This is it, God. It's not about the stuff that we're going to get. It's about what you've already given us. And I pray right now, God, for my friend who this morning 
is making sure, who this morning is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm thankful, not for what God can do for me, but for what he's already done. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for a baby who grew up to be a savior and who rose from the dead, who paid for our sins, that we can follow with confidence, knowing that he has forgiven us and guaranteed us life with him. Thank you that all of us in the 11 o'clock service can get in our cars and go home and know that your family has grown by one. What a gift we've been given, God, this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen.